Thank you, everyone, for your giving. Thanks, Glenn and Holly. Uh, how's everybody doing? Good? How many of you had a great week? How many of you had an okay week? How many not so good? All right, well, if you're a Bengals fan, it had to be fairly decent. Um, I wouldn't, yeah, I, I'll give you your day. I'm a Browns fan. Um, you know, I was thinking, you know, you think about, you hear about people being sore losers. Joe Burrow, poor guy, has got to be a sore winner today. Nine sacks by moving refrigerators. I mean, those people are huge that are hitting him. So, but congratulations. I'm from Cleveland. No bitterness. Well, yeah, there is. But anyway, uh, if you think of us this week, uh, my wife Joyce has got to have foot surgery <clears throat> uh, related to arthritis. Uh, she's had, this will be the third one in three years to try to correct a problem. And so if you think of her Thursday and pray for her that that goes well, the doctors are guided by God's hand, I appreciate that. I want to jump in today to the message. And uh, the message is basically titled, Life is Sacred. We thought it would be appropriate to have this on Sanctity of Life weekend. And it's important enough to give a whole sermon to it, to revisit this again and again, because otherwise culture creep happens. And even in the church, our values or convictions and understanding tend to shift. Admittedly, this is not a real uh, hyped kind of message. It's somewhat subdued because it's a message of prevention from one standpoint in that I feel a responsibility to make sure that we adapt and sustain a biblical worldview. And so we're going to talk about the sanctity of life and the travesty of abortion. And my hopes are that anyone who has not experienced that will will put up more of a firewall in their life to never consider that it'd be part of it. At the same time, in a crowd the size of CLC, I know that I will be speaking to people who have gone through an abortion, and you know the horrors of which I speak. No one warns you of that ahead of time, but you've had to live with that, and the echoes of that, and the pain of that. And so I also want to be sensitive in that regard, and, and regardless of whether it's abortion, other issues as well, I believe that God has a moment of healing and comfort for us today as well. So let's start with how and why do we have Sanctity of Life Sunday. <clears throat> and many people are not aware that the annual church event originated in the White House. Let me read for you. On January 13, 1984, President Ronald Reagan issued a proclamation designating January 22nd as the first National Sanctity of Human Life Day. <clears throat> In 1973, January 22nd was the day the U.S. Supreme Court legalized abortion on demand in all 50 states, as Holly mentioned a moment ago. On the 10th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, President Ronald Reagan wrote an essay about abortion that was published in the Human Life Review and later as a book entitled Abortion and the Conscience of the Nation. It was the only book up until that time published by a sitting U.S. president. The essay is one of the most forceful defenses of life and the strongest denunciations of abortion ever issued by an American president. The real question today, Reagan wrote, is not when human life begins, but what is the value of human life? The abortionist who reassembles the arms and legs of a tiny baby to make sure all its parts have been torn from the mother's body, which is exactly what an abortionist is required to do can hardly doubt whether it's a human being. The real question for him and for all of us is whether that tiny human life has a God-given right to be protected by law, the same right we have. 
He went on to say, I have often said we need to join in prayer to bring protection to the unborn. Prayer and action are needed to uphold the sanctity of human life. I believe it will not be possible to accomplish our work, the work of saving lives, without having a soul of prayer. It was a year later that Reagan issued Proclamation 5147, National Sanctity of Human Life Day in 1984, which notes, quote, since 1973, more than 15 million unborn children have died in legalized abortions, a tragedy of stunning dimensions that stands in sad contrast to our belief that each life is sacred. The proclamation designated Sunday, January 22, 1984, as National Sanctity of Human Life Day. And the president wrote, I call upon the citizens of this blessed land to gather on that day in homes and places of worship to give thanks for the gift of life and to reaffirm our commitment to the dignity of every human being and the sanctity of each human life. That was in 1984. Fast forward to 2022, and there have been over 62 million babies killed through abortion in that time. The problem with statistics is one is up close and personal, but millions, we almost lose the impact of that. Let me read for you 62 million people is the equivalent of the entire population of all these states being killed. If you took the population of Louisiana and Kentucky, Oregon, Oklahoma and Connecticut, Utah, Iowa, Nevada, Arkansas, Mississippi, Kansas, New Mexico, Nebraska, the entire state, Idaho, West Virginia, Hawaii, New Hampshire, Maine, Rhode Island, Montana, Delaware, South Dakota, North Dakota, Alaska, District of Columbia, Vermont, and Wyoming. The combined population of all those states is how many babies have been killed to date through abortion. It's horrific. Add to that that Proverbs tells us one of the seven things that God hates is hands that shed innocent blood. How must God feel about the barbaric atrocity of abortion in our nation? Thankfully, CLC is very pro-life. Oh, and before I forget, before I go to that, the reason why it's such an atrocity that we should be concerned about, and sadly, that article went on to say that while Ronald Reagan issued the proclamation annually, and so did George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush, the practice was discontinued under the presidencies of Bill Clinton, Barack Obama. It was resumed under President Trump, but President Joe Biden has not issued a pro-life proclamation in either 2021 or 2022. I would say, regardless of what your thoughts are, shame on President Clinton and Obama and Biden for not upholding the sanctity of life. And here's why it's to our detriment. Because the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation. If you want a nation to do well, do right in God's eyes. But sin is a disgrace to any people. And when we champion our lawmakers, defend the rights of abortion across our nation, understand we're spitting in the eyes of God. And we, we hear this misnomer that says, well, my body, my choice. We're called to live by a biblical worldview, and my body, my choice does not fit a biblical worldview. The Bible says uh, that you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You are not your own. 
And so my body and my choice is not biblical. My body, gift from God, that's biblical. So my body, gift from God, what does God have for me? Thankfully, CLC is very pro-life. We support Miami Valley Women's Center, Elizabeth's New Life Center, and Dayton Right to Life in their battle uh, to save young lives while they're yet in the womb. Many of you volunteer at those ministries, and I'm thankful for that. And uh, the team has a video that we put together for the Miami Valley Women's Center this past year. I asked them to share it with us. Watch this. How I heard about the Miami Valley Women's Center was when we found out that we were pregnant and my boyfriend and I were very uncertain what to do. So we looked on Google and then we found you guys were the first option. And then so I called and right away they got me in literally the next week. I'm really nervous on the way here, but as soon as I sat in the lounge, um, someone came up to me and was very sweet to me and made me feel safe. They helped me by giving me a free ultrasound and then giving me a couple different options of what I could do. And then after that, they gave me a couple of questions just so I could feel more certain. And it was if I was still with the father, if I had a solid place to live, and if I had a good support system. I just was in tears after seeing her little heartbeat on the screen. And I just knew right away that I wanted to go along with it and have her. I would say if anyone was ever in a rut or felt like they weren't financially ready for a child or if they felt like they just weren't in the right place, like go to Women's Center and they'll make sure that you feel certain. And then they're like, well, if you ever have any problems, like we offer like diapers and clothing and whatever you need. Like if you ever are struggling, just come to us. And I was like, that feels so great. It felt like a nice security blanket for me. Our journey has made us realize that no one is ever truly prepared for a family. But with great support systems like the Women's Center, it can be a much smoother transition into parenthood. My daughter's name is Meadow Rain Daly, and because of Miami Valley Women's Center, she has parents who are confident in giving her the best life we can. Thank you. Beautiful little baby, and here's where it's kind of cool. Uh, Women's Center will tell you that 90-some percent of abortion-minded women who see an ultrasound of their baby change their mind. Last year, as part of our God-sized vision, Christian Life Center gave My Valley Women's Center over $67,000 to buy two of those ultrasound machines to help moms like her change their minds. So thank you for your giving. Um, yeah. Beyond that, there's loads of evidence. We put our money and our time where our mouth is. Uh, if you stop by the table in the lobby, I was talking to the ladies there. Uh, Judy Wilder and her team have led a ministry called Well Baby for about 20 years. And they put together a beautiful gift basket for all. It's not enough to say don't have an abortion. It's also that we want to help you with having this baby. And so they put together a beautiful gift basket with loads of supplies to have that baby, uh, coaching along the way. And over the past many years, they have given away over 3,600 well baby gift baskets in 20 years that are worth an estimated over $130,000 giving to these pregnant moms to help them make the decision. Beyond that, Walk for Life, CLC has been a major participant. We raise over $7,000 out of our church every year. Over the years, we've raised over $126,000 for Walk for Life. And we also sponsor, support these ministries on a monthly basis. So at CLC, I am proud that we are part of a church that is very pro-life. We are pro-life because the Bible is pro-life. We try to use this as our guide. And uh, a couple of verses that make that very clear, Psalm 127, uh, verse 3 says, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. 
And I, I asked our team to put together, you know, we're celebrating babies, all right, and then also grown-up babies. How many grown-up babies are here today? Okay, good. You're, you're paying attention. It's a trick question there, right? Um, but if you, if you can't watch, if you can watch this and not <clears throat> at least smile, uh, maybe a little chuckle, uh, we have a medical team that could help you today, all right, because you're in bad shape, all right? Watch this. Yeah, it's fun. I, every service, I kind of take a peek, and you're all smiling. You, know, you can't help but smile, all right? Just, it's good food for the soul. Google babies laughing next time you need a pick-me-up for the day. It'll help you out. Um, it's important as Christ followers to develop a biblical worldview. And when you're reading Scripture, ask yourself that question, what are the assumptions that they had? How did they see the world around them? And we see a biblical worldview is very much pro-life, that life begins in the womb. Uh, a couple of scriptures that share that. One is when it was recounting the life of uh, Isaac and Rebecca. They'd battled infertility for quite some time, and she conceived twins and gave birth to twins. Look at this verse, and look at the, the assumption beneath it. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. She was infertile. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children, say the children. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if this is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The assumption in Scripture is that inside of a pregnant mom is a child. Let's fast forward to the New Testament to the, the scene surrounding the birth of Christ. As we know, not only did Mary conceive and give birth to Jesus, but Mary's older cousin Elizabeth, who was beyond childbearing age, also became pregnant and gave birth to John the Baptist. Look at what the biblical worldview assumes uh, about an unborn child. This is a prophecy about John the Baptist. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Next verse is uh, with Mary's encounter. At this same time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, not the product of conception, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb, what? For joy. Within a pregnant mother is a physical, emotional, spiritual human being. 
It is a biblical worldview. So we as a church can't help but likewise be pro-life. But when you think of the fact that as a nation we've aborted over 62 million babies since it became legal, I ask myself, okay, if righteousness exalts a nation and sin is a disgrace to any people, is there evidence in our culture that we are diminishing the sanctity of life? I would suggest that it abounds. First of all, sex has become an inconsequential act of pleasure. And abortion really has become simply a barbaric form of birth control. I'm pregnant. I didn't expect it. And I won't go into the details of abortion, but it is horrific as a solution to an unwanted pregnancy. If you look at your lifespan from the time you were conceived until the time you die on this planet, that's your earthly lifespan. If we see our nation eroding the sanctity of life in the beginning before you take your first breath in the atmosphere, can we see any evidence of this denigration of life anywhere else in the lifespan? Absolutely. Because now, 10 states plus Washington, D.C., have legalized physician-assisted suicide. And we do it in the name of quality of life. I'm no longer living the quality of life, so I want to take my own life, and I should have that right to do it. You would have that right to do it if you were the author and giver of your life in the first place, but you're not. God gave it to you, and so it's not your choice as to when you leave. And we know that, we know that biblically, you know, my, my prayer is, God, before I lose my health or my mind, take me home. And I, I hope I die like my dad. Went to bed, had a heart attack, never woke up. But what happens if life lingers and some of you have been at the bedside of a, of a family member and they just suffered and suffered and suffered? It still isn't our place to make that decision. And then, so if we see both ends of the lifespan being minimized and depreciated, what about in between? I would suggest to you that the senseless, often brutal taking of human life that is becoming commonplace is in part because of how little life means to us, how devalued it is. This was just, I went to a news app at one point in the day, and the stories changed all day long, at one point in the day, and here are the, the headlines in, at one moment in one day this past week. Bodies of three teenagers discovered inside Texas home. It's tragic. NYPD officer shot while struggling with suspect over a gun. Chicago shootings, 38 shot, five failing in weekend violence, January 18th. Texas synagogue hostage suspect's criminal record, and he died in that, that standoff. Pardon killer, sentenced to 42 years in prison. He killed again. And then a manhunt, career criminal suspected of grisly stabbing death of UCLA student remains at large. They did apprehend him. That poor girl was simply working in a retail outlet. A guy came in with a knife, killed her for no reason, and left. And then uh, the last one there, a guy who was uh, wanted for murder in Florida, found on the other side of the country. This happens all the time. And the sad thing is we're becoming desensitized to it. When we look at the fact that there are, there are thousands of murders, uh, there are uh, every, every year. Pew Research 
uh, reported the FBI said that there were over 21,000 murders in 2020. That's up almost 30% from the year before. How many murders go unsolved? Of those murders, 54% are unsolved. So there's not even justice to it. And, we, and when you, you hear, oftentimes in the news, you hear about somebody who was killed for, you know, you'd think they'd at least be killed for a fortune. Sometimes they're killed for pocket change. Sometimes a person's life is taken just because somebody's temper flared. Life is no longer sacred in our culture. We've diminished it at the beginning of the lifespan. We're diminishing it at the end of the lifespan. And now it is cheapened all life long. And, and there's a lack of safety and a lack of reverence for taking a life. Another side effect of my life isn't precious. There's nothing sacred or special about my life, I believe, is the epidemic of suicide in our nation. Sadly, it's the second leading cause of death for people 10 to 34 years of age. It's the fourth leading cause of death for people 35 to 44 years of age. And suicide, reaching a point of despair, a point of hopelessness, is meant to be deterred by the thought, yeah, but you know what? My life is a gift from God, so not only can someone else not take it, it's not mine to take. And last weekend, we were talking about racial reconciliation. We talked about three honoring, honorable assumptions that we should have about other people, and they fly in the face of the thought of any my own life. The first one is that every person you see, their life is an unfolding story that God is still working on. And that includes the person in your mirror. Your life is an unfolding story that God is still working on. You haven't seen the end of it yet. And no matter how dark it may get, how painful it might get, how hopeless it might seem, you are not done, and God is not done with your life and with your future. Have hope. The second assumption we're supposed to have is that uh, that person wants their story to end positively. Likewise, in our pleasure and our pain, God has positive outcomes he wants to bring from it. And finally, that if we respond honorably to someone, they'll respond honorably to us. And I would suggest to you that your life is sacred. And to those who have gone through the horrors of abortion firsthand, I'm thankful that God is also a God of amazing grace. That's what we call it. He's a God who forgives. He's a God who heals. He's a God who restores and says, okay, now let's turn the page, let's turn the corner, and let's see what your life holds. And the final verse I want to share with you, well, second to the last verse, I'll share one in a moment. Your life, all your life, is precious and sacred. Your life, all your life, is precious and sacred. And I believe we've got an adversary, the accuser of the brethren. You know, Satan loves to fill our minds with worthlessness. And yeah, it doesn't apply to you. And he wants to kind of pull the darkness in on top of us and suffocate us. But your life is precious to God. Let me read for you from Psalm 139 from the Living Bible. Here's what David said. 
You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It's amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You were there while I was being formed in utter seclusion. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life. Before I began to breathe, every day was recorded in your book. How precious it is, Lord, to realize that you are thinking about me constantly. I can't even count how many times a day your thoughts turn toward me. And when I awaken in the morning, you are still thinking of me. You are precious to God. It's easy to think about how wonderfully formed they are when you hold a little baby and you see their perfect little fingers and their little toes and, and oh, look at that. But you know what? It, granted, your toes might not be quite as cute now. But you're just as precious to God now as, as when you took your first breath and 40 weeks before that when you were conceived. And so listen to this song, and then I want to come back with a verse and a moment for prayer that just celebrates the fact that you are fearfully and wonderfully made.
Go ahead and just take a deep breath. God gave you that. Everyone before and everyone until. Would you repeat a statement after me? I am precious to God. Say it again. I don't know how old we are when we start to change. You know what's so cool about the little babies I dedicated, the ones you saw on the screen? They think that just they and everybody around them are amazing. Life is great. I'm here. I don't know when we start to learn to be insecure. I don't know how old we are when we mess up and we start to carry guilt with us, inadequacy, shame, regrets, whatever. And somehow it's easy to imagine those little babies being precious to God, but we forget that when little babies grow up, you are still precious to God. You might not be a Christian, a Christ follower, and so you're far from him spiritually, but you're still precious to him, and his desire will be that you come to him, surrender your life to him. Most of us are Christ followers, we're Christians, and you are still precious to him. And so I want to kind of invite you to reflect on a passage in that same chapter that David wrote. He closes that chapter out saying, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And so I invite you in a moment just to allow the Holy Spirit to do an inventory in your life. And are there any anxious thoughts? Are there anxieties that you deal with, that you battle, that you need to bring to him because he thinks you're precious and wants to help you with that? Are there hurtful ways in you, past or present, that you want him to relieve the pain? If you've asked him for forgiveness, certainly carrying guilt is a worthless exercise at your cost, your expense. Or if you need forgiveness, he'll do that for you. But would you bow your heads with me and just take a moment and I guess ask yourself, how do I feel about the statement, I'm precious to God? Do you feel that? 
And we're not driven to be ruled by our feelings. Emotions are a wonderful thing, but they can be overpowering. And if you say, well, I don't feel precious, well then ask God to give you the faith to to respond in a way that's not from your emotion, but it's out of faith. But I know from God's perspective, I am precious. Ask him to help you to walk in that. If you battle anxieties, if there are pains inside of you, maybe to the point you feel like you can't go on, ask him for help. He's there to care for you. And so, Lord, we just just want to thank you for the gift of life. You woke us up this morning, and here we are, reminded again that we are precious in your sight, every age, every stage of life. And I pray especially, Lord, a word of peace for all those who deal with anxiety and fear. Lord, that you would calm our anxious thoughts. Lord, for those who have hurtful ways in them, Lord, pain that they're dealing with, or, or things that they regret. Either way, I pray that you would restore and, and forgive and comfort and that we would turn to you as a loving Heavenly Father. You've known us from before the time we took our first breath. And you have a plan that you're working out in our lives. And I pray you would fill us with a, a new sense of hope and anticipation for what that's going to look like in the years ahead. I pray you would bless the Christian Life Center that we would continue our our fight for the cause of being pro-life and celebrating every life as a gift from you. And we pray for our nation, God, that we would turn from that evil practice and, and celebrate every human being given to us. And so we pray that you be glorified in all we say, all we do, and who we are. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer today, want somebody to share a load with you, stop by the VIP room. Our team is there to minister to you. If you want to accept Christ or you kind of prayed that prayer, they'd be happy to lead you in that. Or if you're new and visiting, we have a gift for you. And don't forget, tomorrow night is a chance for many of you to finally turn the corner and start to overcome hurts, habits, or hang-ups in your life by being part of Celebrate Recovery. You can ask them in the VIP room or go online, and we'll see you tomorrow night at uh, Celebrate Recovery. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week.